HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Cloud Ride, the first vape juice with flavors created by a James Beard award-winning chef. For more information, visit cloudridevapor.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern Teague. And we have a esteemed a, a, guest esteemed today. Esteemed guest. <laughs> <laughs> Our third author this month. Yeah. And actually, it's his third time on the Speakeasy. Uh, welcome back to the show, Robert Simonson. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah. Good to have you back, man. Um, first time you're on was uh, with your first book, The Old Fashioned. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great book. I, you know, it's. It's awesome to like travel around the United States and go to all these different bars and like see that book and not not just necessarily in in cocktail bars but in just every like almost every bar I feel like I go to that has books behind the bar there's the old fashioned book. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, you, thankfully it's successful. not uh it's not a trend that came and went. It yeah. seems like uh they're still making old fashions. They're still drinking them. I mean, it's one of the the go-to drinks it's like it, it was a really great idea it's a great book uh a lot of great content in there uh one of my business partners daniel krieger shot it uh yeah. it's beautiful photography gorgeous book um and then uh the last time you were here was with your app right uh, right which has been very helpful for me the uh the modern modern classics. modern classics of the, the cocktail, cocktail renaissance, renaissance <laughs> came out in february uh, yeah. in collaboration with martin duderoff martin dude the yeah, dude, the dude, <laughs> Martin, dude, the yeah, and so okay, so now you've just put out this book, uh, came out on the twentieth of September, called "A Proper Drink: The Untold Story of How a Band of Bartenders Saved the Civilized Drinking World." Um, it's it's a story like that. To me, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, well, it's kind of the inspiration of like putting the show together you know like in the archives of the show we've talked a lot about the the modern history of of getting these drinks back together to where where they were supposed to be and and you've put this into a book and it's really amazing it's really first of all it's a beautiful cover 
Yeah. It's one of the coolest fonts I've ever seen. It's super classic, but apparently you were telling me before the show that uh, this font is only a year old, but it looks like it's like 160 years old. Yeah, it's a beautiful font. Well, you can't all see it out there in Radio Land, but we have to trust it's a beautiful font. Um, Don't you have to buy the book? They've done a 10-speed press, published the book, and they did a great job with the cover. Um, this is this book is kind of the polar opposite of the old fashioned. The old fashioned was uh, super focused, kind of just a little a micro book about one specific, very specific topic, one drink. And this book uh, goes totally macro. It's just the broad focus of the entire cocktail revival of the past twenty five or thirty years. Um, basically, answering two questions: um, Why did it happen, and who was responsible? Yeah, and you reel, you reel the clock all the way back to the—the the book begins somewhere in the 70s, right? Yeah, I, I start uh, painting the picture of, like, um, what uh, drinking life, what bar life, uh, the bar world was like back then, what we now universally term as the dark ages, when people weren't drinking, I don't know, uh, with an educated palate, I guess, and then how that came to be turned around slowly but surely, and, um, and then start talking about the early important figures— in New York, you've got Dale DeGroff. In London, Dick Bradsell. Hmm. There are other peripheral figures that also... There are many people who played a role in this, but obviously those are, the, those are two of the main ones. Yeah. And then it just kind of uh, spreads very slowly throughout the 90s and then very quickly throughout the aughts. Well, yeah, the, the Internet. Uh, the Internet <laughs> played a huge role. There's a chapter about the Internet. Um, it can be argued, and I think... Actually, I think it's inarguable. Without the Internet, the cocktail revival would not have happened and certainly would not have happened as quickly. Sure. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, uh, these bartenders who were interested in making old cocktails right had to go to um, eBay or old bookstores or uh, flea markets to find uh, the old cocktail books because all of them were out of print. After Prohibition, there were no cocktail books that told you, like, okay, we know there's this drink called the Widow's Kiss, and we're trying to make it. It doesn't taste good. What's wrong? And so you'd have to find these old books. So that's how the early pioneers did it. But once uh, the Internet started coming into play, you could be in Seattle, you could be in Singapore, you could be in Paris, get on your computer and gather the knowledge and talk to someone halfway across the world, like, I'm trying to make a Rob Roy. It's like, how do you do it? Yeah. It, yeah, shared information became much more commonplace. And- well, it, it created a bartending community. There was no bartending community. That's hard to believe today because you guys are so, you know, you're thick as thieves. Close, you all know each other. Close-knit, yeah. You're very close-knit. You, you travel to these cocktail conventions. You go to each other's bars. You talk uh, on email and the internet and text. Back then, you know, everyone With boomerangs. was... boomerangs. I mean, yeah. mostly, most of my conversations happen with boomerangs. <laughs> Yeah, boomerangs <laughs> is another way to communicate. <laughs> but then everyone was, like, working in silos. You were all by yourself and trying to figure it out. And um, if you were lucky, Dale DeGroff would come and find you and visit your bar, but a lot of people weren't lucky. And so this changed everything. I feel like a lot of it was due to... I, I feel like a lot of the, the like, nerdy, like, s- circles of, like, like bar enthusiasts were... I think a lot of it started with tiki stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a chapter de- devoted just to that as well, right? Yes. Um, uh, it's toward the end of the book. Um, Is it- one of the last categories of drinks, categories of uh, American cocktail history to be reclaimed was tiki. Because um, as people were starting to make pre-prohibition classic cocktails again, I mean, 
it's hard to remember. It's part of the reason why I wrote this book is because people had started to forget this stuff. But 10, 15 years ago, a lot of mixologists looked down their nose at tiki. They thought, we're not going to make those slushy drinks. This is a classy bar. We're trying to impress people with our cocktails and with our profession. And it took people, uh, basically one person, Jeff Barry, to tell them, this, like, no, um, you don't understand tiki drinks. If they're made well, they're as good as any drink, and they deserve your respect. And so, you know, he did the shovel work. He, he dug up the old recipes. He published the books, and uh, he brought back, uh, you know, that chapter in cocktail history. Well, we had to go through... Don't you feel like it was it was necessary that we had to go through a, a, a kind of a, a I feel like it was the kind asshole of a, period an asshole the period. asshole period thank you thank yeah you. we had to be assholes for a while we had to be assholes we had to be holier than thou but that led us to a place where we could then be more relatable it, it, yeah. like like you cracking a Budweiser right now yes well no it, 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 good afternoon that, America that, um, that chapter which people like to bring up as being regrettable I think was absolutely necessary yes the bartenders had to be hard asses for a while because they had to retrain the drinking public you know it's like it's like try this. There was a lot of pushback from, from a lot of pushback and, and you guys had to be brave about it. And then eventually once people started to know what you were doing and that you were actually not being jerks just to be jerks, but on principle, um, then you could, then you could ratchet it back a bit and get back to the hospitality thing, which we've been reclaiming the past five years or so. Taking your craft seriously, but not taking yourself too seriously. Right. Exactly. But yeah, it, um, a, it had to be done. It was um, a necessary step in the, in the evolution of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Bronco had to be busted. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I always liken it to the, you know, to the kitchen. Like I, you can't just walk into most like, you can't walk into a fine restaurant and just order like whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? Like, without looking at the menu. Yeah, I you see know. that you've prepared all this stuff, but I'd like something not prepared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. There, there's a quote in there from uh, Camper English, who's a cocktail writer on San Francisco, and he was talking about everyone knows that you could, you go into Chez Panisse and you can't order a cheeseburger. Yeah, but. They get upset when you go to a cocktail bar and you order a Cosmopolitan and they won't give it to you. It's just like, and it's like, this is the worst bar ever, you yeah. know, and they you get order indignant. a French martini and, oh, yeah, sorry, well, I, don't have Yeah, I talk about it like um, in very similar terms. You know, I think we've finally gotten to a place in the last couple of years where your, our guests now make a consensus before they go to the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're standing on the corner and they say, let's go to a movie, they don't just go to the nearest theater and the movie that's playing right now. They make a consensus. One of them wants to see an action film. One wants to see a foreign film. By the time the consensus is made, you buy your ticket and you know what you've bought. And you're not complaining that there's no subtitles in this action film that you thought was going to be a foreign film. Mm -hmm. So now people say, I want to go have a drink. Less and less are we just walking to the nearest bar and going in. We're saying, I want to go to that bar that's all rum. Or I want to go to that bar that's all bitters. Or I want to go to that classic cocktail bar. And they make that choice and then they bought their ticket before they get in the door. It's a much nicer experience for everybody. Yes, yes. It's a much different world now. Yeah, and there's a chapter in the book called "The Scolds," which actually talks about when bartenders were in that 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 era. When I talk about Bourbon and Branch, which was notorious for you know scolding its patrons in the early days, <laughs> um, and um, there were a couple guys there like John Santer and uh, Dominic Venegas, and like they didn't want it to get too loud in the bar, and whenever it got too loud in the bar, they would collectively shush the entire room, just go <laughs> Oh, like over, the, the Burp Castle still does that in these films, yeah. but that's a beer bar. And it became such a joke that after a while, the uh, the, the patrons would shush them back and just go <laughs> and, uh And they admit now, it says, yes, we were total assholes, but, you know, we had to do it. We had to do it back then. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's. <laughs> I can't even imagine doing that these days. That's. <laughs> and there's a there's another. I don't think there's any equivalent. I was trying to think: is there an equivalent to what goes on today? Does anyone? Do uh, no, that, you wouldn't get away with that today. Um, it took me four years to bring in vodka to prime meats, and <laughs> I could, having that conversation was not easy. Yeah, especially being like an, like an old kind of like Italian neighborhood, and people go into you know, you know, the Red Rose and having their vodka martini and. You know, like an eight ounce pour of, of vodka, just cold and dirty. Yeah. I say as uh, I raise my Phil blood. Ward, who's a bartender and worked at Pegu Club and the opening staff at Pegu Club, which opened in 2005. He told me a story of how they used to play a game there of like um, how many questions they had to answer from a customer before they got a drink order. Mm. So someone would come up and say, I'd like a vodka and tonic. We don't have vodka. Okay. I'll have uh, Captain Morgan and Coke. We don't have Captain Morgan. I'll have a Cosmopolitan. We don't have cranberry juice. And they would count. <laughs> or the aforementioned vodka. And whichever yeah. bartender got the most questions won, yeah, you know, one. for the evening. Like seven questions before you got a drink order. Yeah. That sounds like Phil Ward just in general. Like, yeah. I, I think he still does at a Long Island bar. <laughs> yeah, he may. He may. He's, probably he's have mellowed a bit. He's mellowed a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been remarkable, like, you know, after after a while, like watching uh, the the way that not only the bar the bars have uh, and the bars and the bartenders have progressed, but like the clientele uh, and the customers have progressed as well. It's, it's certainly it's, more educated than they used to be. Yeah, and, man. And you know, I would say though we live we do live in this bubble. In oh yeah, New York we're one percent, right? Yeah. I, I don't even think it's New York City. You say this all the time, but I've never backed up what you say. Like the kind of bars that we work at and that we kind of deal with and that we talk about, they're, they're less than 1% of the total amount of bars that are out there. We, sure. live, we live in a bubble inside It's true, a bubble. but you could find trickles of the influence even in oh, everyday sure. bars. You look at the menu and you look at, you'll see a drink on the menu and say, that wouldn't have been there 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. this, is, this is, I guess it was Dale mm-hmm. who said, the goal with this revolution ultimately is to be able to go to the Howard Johnson's in Des Moines, Iowa and get a decent Negroni. Mm-hmm. Decent, just decent. Yeah. yeah, that's the goal. If we can achieve that, we've won. Um, right, right. Yeah, that's an admirable goal. Yeah, I think so as well. Because I don't think it all belongs everywhere. I don't think anything belongs everywhere. No, nobody wants all the bars to be cocktail bars. No, I've not. always, I've always said that like the the term cocktail bar is kind of redundant because like every bar should be at a least bar one where cocktail. You get a cocktail. Yeah, you know, no, a bar's a bar's bar, but like it's not. Unfortunately, that's not true. Um, and yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I you know when I go to when I go to the post office bar in Lukenbach, Texas, you know. Oh my God, I've been there. It's have we talked about this? No, <laughs> I've been there. You've been the to Lukenbach? post office feed and seed uh, bar. Yes, I've been there. Gift shop and gift shop, of course. Yeah, I, yeah. all I really want is a, a bottle of Lone Star. There was a sign. I don't, I'm not going there for like a, a, <laughs> yeah. a vu carré. Lukenbach, right. Texas, huh? There was yeah, a man. sign. Back to the basics of love. That, okay. yeah. <laughs> Population three. Everybody's somebody there. There was a sign on the door. I don't need to get off track too much. There was a sign on the door that was misspelled. It's a handwritten sign that said, uh, uh, at the post office feed and seed bar, that said, uh, closed on Tuesdays. That's probably misspelled today. And it was. So I was there on a Tuesday and it was close, but we went back the next day. Because <laughs> hmm. I couldn't, couldn't not go in and see that place. Yeah, man. We went one town over to Jordan. Oh, you, went to uh, Jordan. you should have gone to Fredericksburg. But Jordan turns had, out... Had we, some kolaches and, and schnitzel. We went oh, to, yeah. I heard they serve kolaches down there. That's weird. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a place in Bushwick that has kolaches. I've been there. Yeah. Really? No or cocktails not, it's there. It's No, no, no cocktails. <laughs> 
All right, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're t- this is like the Texas show here. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? On that note, let's let's, let's take a break and, and, a and regroup break. and come back and talk with Robert Simonson about his new book, A Proper Drink. Uh, back in just a few. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track has a pretty long title. It's called Meeting at the Docks to Discuss a Heist in Paris, 1961. This show is brought to you by our sponsors at CloudRide. CloudRide Vapor. They make e-liquids. E-liquids for e-cigs. And you know what? We were just talking a little bit before the show. It's the perfect thing to have in the studio to... Because we can, we can. You know, do, do you call it smoking? What do you? It's, it's vaping. It's vaping. We, we can vape in the studio without messing anything up or getting you can't in trouble. Mess up the microphones. So uh, it's it's great. It's another testament to uh, this the e cig vibes. Um, yeah. So if you go to cloudridevapor.com, you can actually get a twenty percent off discount using the code word speak, as in the speak easy. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's cool stuff. They've got all these different flavors. They Created are. by James Beard Award-winning chef. And tested by scientists. You love that part. White coat to white coat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, check them out. CloudRightVapor.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. In the studio today, we have our good old buddy Robert Simonson, author, app creator, and... New York Times writer. New York Times writer, um, of course. We've been talking about his new book, A Proper Drink, which is out on Ten Speed Press. What a great publishing company, by the way. Ten they Speed put out is... great food and drink books. They yeah, have, they really do. Kind of like the, the network. All about, mm-hmm. all about food and drinks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, man. Go. We're just real tight that way. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the Heritage Radio Network. And you know, going. I'll do credit to them uh, for actually thinking this story was worth telling because, you know, not everyone was convinced it was. Um, I mean, everyone... The food revolution, the beer revolution, the wine revolution in America, those tales have all been told. And that's the reason why I wrote this book is because this had not been told and I didn't see anyone stepping up to tell it. And it was only a matter of time before yeah. everyone forgot it. Um, I mean, you, I'm sure you guys have had experiences where you talk to young bartenders. Yeah, they don't and know. And they, don't know they where, just, where sort, of, they just sort of think it's been like this. It's oh, always yeah. been like yeah, this. totally. You know, it's this great cocktail bars, great equipment, all this, this excess, uh, access to these great spirits and liqueurs. And it's like, no, we, we had to work. We had to build this house. Yeah, man. I mean, Greg Baum was on the show uh, several weeks ago, several weeks ago on our 200th episode. And uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, like the the like how he started collecting these. I mean, he comes from a, pub- a publishing family mm-hmm. um, but, and he played a big role in this, you know, publishing, republishing all those out of print yeah. cocktail books, making them accessible to bartenders. Absolutely. And but then not only that, you know, the tools we were talking a lot about how um, we we did. We definitely talked on the show a little bit about how we would uh, he and, and and I and Dave Wondridge would like we got to this point where we had to start emailing each other. And we're like, all right. 
it's my turn on eBay. I know you're looking at. I could tell because it was back mm-hmm. when you could see the uh, the bidder's name, uh, their screen name on on eBay, and be like, <laughs> no, it's my turn. Like you got the last one. I'm, I'm getting this tool, you know, or this bottle, or this punch bowl, or whatever. Um, but it was. Yeah, tools were a big thing. I mean, I I talked to so many bartenders, and they all told me these stories, which are hard to believe today. Um, You know, back in the day, all cocktails were shaken. Nobody was stirring any cocktails. So, I mean... mean, Like like the beginning of this book. Yeah, in the early... early Or even before that, you know, like, I remember... Yeah. My, my fascination with those 1930s shakers that I collect yeah. is because of Thin Man movies and the opening scene in the opening movie. Right. He's, he grabs the shaker from the bartender and he goes to this little ditty about how you shake a Manhattan to the Foxtrot and you yes, shake a martini yes. to the, you know, he goes through all these. And I'm <laughs> like, you don't shaken. shake those drinks at all. But then I talk to Wonders and he's like, oh, yeah, they did. They did. They did. And they're, they're like, they tell these stories of how one day they decided they were going to do it right. And they came into work with a bar spoon. And there was no bar spoon in the, in, in, in the bar. And it would create issues with the manager. The managers would get upset. It's like, what are you bringing that shit in here for? You know, we don't need a bar spoon. He said, we don't need jiggers. You know, it says you're causing trouble. You're a troublemaker. This happened again and again in the Wait, early days. the bartender was a troublemaker? <laughs> no way. <laughs> An independent thinker? A rebel? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> but simple things like that, simple things that we take for granted, these tools... Yeah. And, and now you, you go to the store, you go to, um, I don't know, Bed Bath & Beyond, and you can choose from 10 to 15 different jiggers. Oh, I like this one. Yeah, that's... It, that's that's, a, that's insane. That's yeah. a revolution. There's a... Um, there was a... Uh, a quiet, drunken revolution. <laughs> Not so quiet. <laughs> Not so quiet. Shh. <laughs> um. <laughs> Except at Bourbon and Branch. Yeah. Quiet. <laughs> or you won't get your drink. Pipe down, you rebel. <laughs> in the 45 minutes that we promised you, you would get it in. Oh, oh God, those days. <laughs> oh, the early days. Well, they had oh. that terrible reservation um, system so that when everybody, when Bourbon and Branch opened, suddenly there were like 75 people in the bar that all wanted cocktails. And someone's at the end of that list. Yeah. And yeah. They, it, or, wasn't, or it wasn't an exaggeration back then. People were waiting a half hour, 40 minutes to get a cocktail. They weren't happy, but they kept coming back. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. I, they, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean I, you guys have really, you know, those are the those are the, re- those are the sympathizers of the revolution. They sympathized with the revolution. They just <laughs> yeah. had their their part to play was to not have to do any work, but to wait extra time to get their drink, and mm-hmm. then be able to brag about it. I got it. I went. I was at the little branch. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the, actually a, a big part of it for yeah. sure, man. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I don't know it's if like I touch po- on that in the book, but like the, <laughs> the guest has to be a sympathizer to this revolution or it wouldn't have happened, right? Like, uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were sympathetic guests. There were cocktail enthusiasts. Um, Alcoholics. In the, in the early days <laughs> when anybody, any bartender was doing anything of interest in New York, San Francisco, the customers who cared found them. They just found them. You know, it's like they heard uh, on, on the wire, you know, it's like, oh, Audrey Saunders is at the Beacon now. Let's go to the Beacon. Let's see what she's serving. Like Julie Reiner, you know, yeah, started yeah. being sought out. Uh, you know. She was in a she was in a bar in um, off Greenwich Village called C Three that had nothing. It was nothing to speak of. Nobody was writing about it, but she had a little bar in the back. This was before Flatiron Lounge, and people found out. The word got out, and so suddenly Ted Hayes showing up and Dale DeGroff is showing up, and and they're they're seeing what she's up to. It's amazing, man. 
It is amazing. It was, I mean, it was uh, an underground railroad. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, totally. And then they get some recognition, too. You know, recent, the recent Death & Co. book, uh, it's got little profiles and, and, and pencil sketches of, of several of their regulars with some quotes from them and their favorite drinks or things like that. It's like yeah, they get, they get rewarded for being the hangers-on. There were know? people out there that wanted a different kind of drinking experience. They didn't uh, want to stare at a widescreen TV and a place that was deafeningly loud and that had, like, three mass-market uh, pilsners on tap. You know, they wanted something a little different. I know I did. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you just... Not you Southern just, East just, drinking that Budweiser over there. <laughs> Listen, I'm in the studio. This is not the place for a proper cocktail. We don't have any stuff in there. Um, but you, you just said it, too. They wanted a, a, a different drinking experience. I think that's, that's a huge part of the, the revolution as well. We've gotten to a place where it's not just about the function of alcohol. You know, it's the fashion of alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, I can sit at home with a bottle of Jim Beam and, and get my drunk on. Yeah, but I want to go to a nice cocktail place and have a cocktail, or I want to go to a, just a bar and have a beer. There's different levels of experience there. Yeah, the I people think. that went to Milk and Honey in the early days, they went away. I mean, they had a good cocktail, but they remembered a lot of other things about that place too that of made course. them come back. Of course, the whole atmosphere, the candles, the way the bartenders dressed, the way they comported themselves, the, the way, way they the other guests comported yeah. themselves. Yeah, um, and you know that was those were all attractions to bring them back. Yeah. So let's talk about. Um, the, I mean, obviously, the process of writing this book was probably pretty, pretty easy for you. I would, easy, I would say. <laughs> as far easy. as anybody could do it, Damon. Why don't you no. write one? Oh my God! <laughs> I'm just saying, it, like, because you you've been writing. I'm still tired. No, I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you've you've been lucky enough to be a part of it. Oh yeah, I, I was unfortunate in that way, and that I knew all the people that I wanted to talk to. Right. So there were certain people that said, like, no, you should talk to this person. I've never heard of them. And so I did. And I found and I learned something. But, um, yes, I, I knew how to get a hold of everybody. And most of the people I knew, um, very few people said, no, I won't talk to you. They all pretty much said, sure. And, and you, you did all this by a phone or did you travel? I traveled. I, I, uh, a face-to-face interview is almost always so much better than a phone interview. I know. I hate doing phone interviews on the radio. You it, can't see the person's face. You can't interact. Uh, there can't be dead patches. You can't, know. You can't you, clink uh, glasses. You know? No, you can't. Have <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, I traveled. I went to San Francisco. I went to Chicago, New Orleans, Boston, D.C. I went to London twice. I went to Paris. I went to Melbourne. I went to Sydney. Um, Every city that I felt was important to the movement. And other people, like, you know, they're, they're isolated figures. Like, there's um, a Gerg Meyer in Hamburg. I'm not going to go to Hamburg just to interview him. But he comes through New York, and I catch him then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's lucky you, you live here in New York. So. Yeah, no. A couple, couple people a year come through New York. I would hear on the grapevine, <laughs> you know, it's just like, Charles Schumann is in town. Oh, right. He's in town? Oh, my God. And, you know, I find him, and I corner him, you know, at PDT, <laughs> and I interview him. So... It's great. Yeah. How's your, uh, how is, uh, like, on the on the flip side of that, like, that's all before the book, but how was the uh, the experience, like, now that, I mean, you had your experience with the, the book tour with Old Fashioned. Uh, what, Which was pretty small, actually. Yeah, yeah this is much bigger. Although, um, Souther yeah. was telling me that the biggest uh, book night at oh, uh, yeah, Mario right. Margo yeah, truth. was yeah. your book, the old-fashioned book. Yeah, 48 yeah. books we sold, you said? Yeah. Uh, and we uh, that was more. a great event. That was a great we event. We could have sold more. We sold out really early. Uh, I typically only buy 
you know, what I think I'm going to sell, maybe plus a dozen, and then uh-huh. I get the authors to sign the remainers and have them laying around so I can sell signed copies. We had but a lot of nice people sold show out. up I, that I, night. I had reserved one to the side for myself, and I was like, fuck it, sell it. <laughs> yeah, Souther was uh, also the only person foolish enough to let me behind the bar. Uh, which, let me make drinks. Which is not true. Because oh, I saw you true. at Long Island Bar. That's true. Well, Toby Cicchini is also foolish. Um, <laughs> well, speaking so those of, are the two. Speaking of that, while you're touching on it, I was going to talk about it at the end of the show. But oh, uh, yeah. next, mention, mention next the... weekend on October 2nd, uh, Sunday, um, we're going to do a book signing of this book, A Proper Drink, with Robert Simonson at Amoria Margo. Um, we're going to start it at 4 in the afternoon. Uh, we're going to revise Double Buzz for that weekend, which is our Coffee mm-hmm. Tomorrow program in the daytime. Uh, and we'll roll into the evening a little bit. Maybe what time does that start? 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, yeah. Sunday, October 2nd, Amori Margo, East 6th and Avenue A. And we'll be making a few drinks that appear in the book, Modern Classics. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you want, again, you can get behind the bar. You didn't do a terrible job. Last I was bar backing for you, as I recall. I was only making one drink. How terrible a job. Bourbon or rye. Bourbon or rye. He just kept yelling at the door. <laughs> Bourbon or rye. Old fashions. <laughs> yeah, I'll choose one drink to make again. So uh, where are you planning on heading for this book tour? Uh, I will go to San Francisco. We're going to do an event at uh, Bar Agricole on the 27th of September. Uh, there will be an event at Yesterday. the Columbia Room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, man, you, you, uh, are, you are tired from writing this book. I am tired. Um, I'm actually uh, going to go all the way over to Berlin uh, later this month. Um, and uh, go to Bar Convent and uh, talk on a panel with Charles Schumann and some of the uh, people that made the Cocktail Revolution happen in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Cool. Well, you know what? Um, Again, like, it's it's great having you on the show. Again, uh, I I haven't gotten a chance to really crack into the book yet. I know it's brand new, but... uh, So many books this month. So many books, man. We had Martin Kate. With the Smuggler's Code book? Yeah. Brad Thomas Parsons with his Tomorrow book. Tomorrow, gorgeous book. There's, like there's, there's only one page in that book that's terrible, that's ugly. It's a full-page photo of me. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Sasha Petrasky's book has been published posthumously in uh, November, I think. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Georgette, right? Yeah. Amazing. His, his, uh, his uh, widow yeah, completed amazing. that. Um, so, yeah, some good books coming wow. out. Um, the the Canon book. Uh-huh. Uh, the bar in Seattle, Jamie yeah. Boudreaux's bar. They're coming out with their own book. Yep. Man. Got to get him on the show. Love that guy. He's crazy. Yeah. yeah. He is wow. crazy. We got a lot of... You can say that about him. He won't remember. A lot of reading material this fall. <laughs> I know. I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... Well, it's supposed to be a slow summer, but uh, yeah. I got piled up with extra business, and then now books, books, stacking up books. Yeah. Well, you worked three weeks straight at... The Le French Diner. Le French Diner, which is French, French for, for the French. The French Diner. French diner. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a hard one to figure out. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love that place. Go visit. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, I mean, the book will remind people where this all came from. And also, I think there are a lot of people out there that enjoy cocktails and have no idea why this happened. Yeah. And you, you know, know so it's like all of a sudden, why am I getting better Manhattans than I used to? You know, it's like, I don't understand and I don't care. They taste good. But might be fun to find out. Yeah. And, you know, like we said before, uh, earlier in the show, it's, I think it's a really great opportunity for a lot of, like, new bartenders come into it and uh, new bartenders who've started in the last, you know, few years to, you know, 
10 years to mm-hmm. find out. And so I think you did a really great service of writing this book. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's also beautiful, very tactile. Can't wait to dive into it. And um, yes. definitely can't wait for, for you to come sign the book at the more. We'll see if we can see if we can break the record. Yes, <laughs> we got it. It's, it's, Absolutely, man. Everybody out there, you're, you're responsible. You have to come in and help us break this record. That's right. Yeah. we got to sell then, 50 books. And then in addition to... Um, the book you're updating your app right uh yeah the uh, the, the app the modern classics of the cocktail renaissance which came out in february um we always intended to update it as it seemed like it was warranted and uh we're adding three drinks and uh that will drop uh sometime this fall cool yeah yeah great that's awesome well you're a very busy man and uh i'm glad that you took the time to come to the studio today and, and sit with us and and goof around and talk about your book man Oh, so, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, thanks again, Robert Simonson. Check out the book, A Proper Drink. It's on 10 Speed Press. Um, Available at your finer bookstores. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Uh, until next week, I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. And cheers, Cheers, guys. everybody. Thank you so much. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.